Well, friends, what a week. What a, what a week, amen? It's been interesting, hasn't it? The virus spreading, the stock market dropping, people panicking, travel plans, travel bans appearing, and travel plans getting rearranged and canceled, professional sporting events and concerts canceling. You know it's bad when NASCAR cancels, I'm just saying, right? Those guys aren't scared of anything, amen? It's bad when NASCAR folds up. Colleges are shutting down for the semester and going online, and Alabama schools have shut down for two and a half weeks. If the corona doesn't get you, two and a half weeks with your children might, right? I'm just saying, that's the more difficult one right there. Amen. And you wonder why people are buying toilet paper. Two and a half weeks with those kids at home. That's why. They practically eat the stuff if you have children. They do. Amen. Grocery stores out of toilet paper. For some of us, that's been the big crisis, right? Yes. If we're honest, we're all trying to find the balance between underreacting and overreacting, aren't we? We're trying to figure out, am I too afraid? Am I not concerned enough? Where do you strike the balance there? Well, uh, wherever you are, I believe God's Word will help us today. Many times we underreact or we overreact, and perhaps reacting is the problem entirely. Perhaps instead of reacting, God has a better plan for us. I don't like the word react. I like the word respond because react implies that you're, at, you're, you're doing this emotionally. We react out of our feelings, amen, but we respond when we've thought through and we've decided what to do. And my hope and prayer for us is that we'll do that, that we will think through with our sanctified reason and come up with good ideas and we will act sensibly and responsibly and as people of faith, amen. So instead of reacting, we're going to respond according to God's word. And in order to help us do that, to learn how to respond as people of faith, I want you to look with me at Matthew, the 8th chapter, verse 23. Some of you who take notes in your Bible, you, you keep up and you know that uh, I have preached this passage before. Yes, I'm aware of that. I was the one who preached it. <laughs> so you don't have to remind me. I know that, okay? You, you come and tell me, say, Pastor, you preached that text on another. I know. I know. Trust me, I know. Um, the passage is the famous story of the disciples in the boat with Jesus when the storm comes. And uh, I have reworked this passage in light of current, the current events, and I want to talk about it today. I want to revisit the passage, though, because the last time we talked about this text, some of us were in a storm, but today we're all in the same boat. Amen? And this is a story of disciples who were all in the same boat, and I want to talk about that. <laughs> so we're in the same boat today, amen? We're all riding through this together, but the good news is we're riding through with Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 8 is where we're going to look. Uh, verse 23, hear the word of the Lord. And when he, that's Jesus, got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? May God bless his word and his people said, Amen. I want to talk to us today on two main points. Number one, why we should not walk in fear. And number two, how we can respond instead. 
So let's talk, number one, about why we should not walk in fear. If you have not been under a rock, you know that fear is in the air. In fact, I imagine there are more cases of fear than there are of corona in Mobile County by far today. Amen. There's a lot of panic. There are a lot of people that are worried and concerned and, and nervous, and we get that. Well, this story is a perfect example for us of what Jesus would expect of his people in the time of trial, in the time of crisis. How are we to respond? We find Jesus and his disciples, here's the setting, uh, they are literally between hell and high water. I love that song that we just sang. That's where this story is set because you see they are on the sea in high water and what they're about to walk into is the Gergesenes where Jesus will encounter not one but two men who are possessed of the devil and he will have to deliver them and cast the devil out of them. So they are literally facing hell and high water in this one story. And so this song could have been written for this text today. And I want to tell you, if you find yourself there, you're in good company. Let's look at what Jesus teaches us in the passage. Here they are in verse 18. It says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. So Jesus said out of his mouth, We're going to get in the boat and we're going to go to the other side. He had already said and made the announcement, We're going over to the other side. Amen. How many of you believe that when Jesus says something, he's able to accomplish what he said? Amen. And so if Jesus said they're going to the other side, guess where they're going? They're going to make it to the other side. This, you have the word of Jesus on it. Amen. And so there it is. The Sea of Galilee is prone to storms. And verse 24 says, Behold, there arose a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. This is the English Standard Version's rendering of that. Swamped by the waves. That's very descriptive. The Sea of Galilee is 600 feet below sea level and it's surrounded by high hills and so it's sort of like a wind tunnel and oftentimes you'll get headwinds that come through that area and um, they will stir up quite a, a, a tempest. And the headwind also means that if you're trying to go across one way, the wind is coming at you and you are literally having to go against the wind to get where you're headed and it can be very, very difficult. Many ships would get stuck right in the middle during a storm like that and it literally makes them sort of unable to move you're just sort of stuck until the wind dies down you ever been there <laughs> you're in a storm you're not able to make progress you just feel stuck until the wind dies down many of us feel that way right now don't we well this is the text this is the situation life is often like that weather conditions around Galilee can turn on a dime verse 25 tells us not only are they in a storm but they're in a panic the storm is not only around them, it's within them. They're not only are the waves coming over them, but their fear is welling up on the inside, and they are really in a tizzy about this. They are worried, they are panicking. Verse 26 says, And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. Before he rebuked the storm, though, he rebuked his students, didn't he? He got on to them before he got onto the wind and the waves. Before he told the wind, stop that. And before he told the waves, hush down. He looked at his disciples and said, y'all hush down and stop that. Quit panicking. Stop being in uh, a turmoil about this. He rebuked them and then he rebuked the storm. If you're a child of God, a follower of Jesus, and you're freaking out today, Jesus has a question for us from the text. Why are you so afraid? That's the question in the passage, amen? Why are we so afraid? 
As your pastor, I've thought about current public health crisis a lot this week. And like the disciples in our story, we're in a storm and we're all in the same boat. But we need to be careful so that we do not displease the Lord by panicking like much of the world around us seems to be doing. But when I read this story, I can definitely understand their response, can't you? That's what I love about the Bible. You can read yourself into the story. And let's be honest, if I were in the story and you were in the story, we would probably be just like everybody else in the boat, right? Freaking out just a little bit. The only one not doing that was Jesus. Everyone else is a little concerned to say the least. Isn't it comforting? Even those closest to Jesus, even his first disciples experienced very real anxiety at seasons in their life. Isn't that amazing? Even though we often think, well, if Jesus was physically present with me, I, I wouldn't panic like that. Well, they did. <laughs> Amen. So I guess we can cut ourselves a little slack there, right? What the, what the Bible is showing us is this. Even for the people of God, fear is often a reality we must deal with. Being nervous, being anxious, facing panic, being overwhelmed by circumstances. This happens to us sometimes as a people of God. If you're there today, this isn't new. Even the very first disciples of Jesus had a moment, much like the one we're feeling on the inside right now. I love this. When I read the story, I'm definitely with them. I don't know about you, I get nervous at the wave pool and the water park. Amen? I almost put the life jacket on on the, book, on the duck tour the last time I went. Amen? I mean, just saying. You never be too careful. Amen? These guys were experienced fishermen, and if they were nervous on the water, there's probably reason to be nervous on the water, amen? If you read Luke's account in Luke chapter 8, it says, And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. So this is not just a little splash over the bow of the boat. No, the boat is actually being filled with water, and Luke admits they were in great danger. The boat could have gone down if something didn't happen. How in the world could Jesus have expected them to do anything except panic? And yet, he obviously did because he rebuked their response. He took issue with the fact that they were not responding in a better way. Uh, well, if Jesus expected his followers to act differently then, I expect he would want his followers to act differently now as well in the face of a storm when we're all in this boat together. So let's unpack the text and see why we don't have to panic or freak out any more than they should have. If they didn't have to panic in the face of the storm, then I shouldn't either. And let me tell you why. Number one, like them, we know the power of Jesus. We know the power of Jesus. I love this. If you think about this, you might be prone to cut the disciples a little slack and say, yeah, but pastor, you know, they're in this situation and we're not and let's, let's go easy on the guys. Well, let me explain why Jesus was probably so upset at their response. This was not just any ordinary day and this passage is not found at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. It's down in the story a little bit. In other words, they had walked with the Lord a little, a little ways. And if you read Mark chapter 8, if you start Matthew 8, if you start at the front of the chapter and read all the way through, the entire day had been filled with miracles. All day long they had watched Jesus turn impossible situations around. All day long they had watched him cast out demons and heal the sick and do all sorts of mighty miracles. If you read just this one chapter before this part, you find that he has cleansed a leper with a touch and a word. He has healed the centurion's servant from a great distance away simply by speaking the word to his master. He has healed Peter's mother-in-law by simply touching her on the 
hand. He has cast demons out and healed an entire multitude with a word. Then Jesus gave the command to get in the boat. We're going to the other side. So if anyone had reason to believe that Jesus was going to be able to do what he intended to do, it was these 12 men in the boat. They had history with Jesus. They had a whole day with Jesus where he'd done miracle after miracle after miracle. But let me explain something to you that we find out as the people of God. It's easy to believe in Jesus when he's doing it for somebody else. But when the water's coming in the boat where you're sitting, it's a different story, isn't it? And that's what they found out. It's one thing when you're praying for Peter's mother-in-law it's another thing when Peter's in the boat and the water's coming in, right? Amen. Isn't that true? Many of us find ourselves in that situation. We can believe God for someone else, but we struggle to believe God for ourselves. We struggle to believe that he will take care of us, that he will handle what we're facing right now. We can pray for someone else with great confidence, but can we believe God for ourselves? That's the issue here. Even when they woke up, the disciples woke Jesus up, it was a cry of fear, not a prayer of faith. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They say in Mark 4.38. In Luke 8, they say, Master, Master, we are perishing. The Bible says that Jesus said, Oh, you of little faith, where is your faith? Jesus perceives this not as a prayer of faith, but as a cry of panic. And he rebukes them for their lack of faith or their smallness of faith. Believe it or not, God really does expect us to learn from the past. Eventually, we should have seen enough of the power of God in other people's lives or experienced enough of the power of God in our own lives that we don't freak out when a sudden storm arises. I think that's the lesson that, that we learn from, from the passage. The disciples knew the power of Jesus, and so do we. We have had our prayers answered. We've seen God bring us through great difficulty before. We've got history with God. This isn't our first rodeo, amen? Amen. We know that God is able and that God will help us. So let's lean into that. We know the power of Jesus. Say the power. Number two, we have the presence of Jesus. Say the presence. Jesus didn't put them in the boat and send them over by themselves. Now, that happens at the end of the gospel. I think there's a progression there. You finally get to the point where even if he's not physically present, you can still trust him. But at the beginning story here, Jesus is in the boat with them. The Bible says he got, in the, he got in and commanded them to join him. The Bible is very clear he's present in the situation. Jesus is in the boat. Amen. They took him along in the boat, Mark 4.36 says. Jesus is like American Express. Amen. Don't leave home without him. <laughs> you want Jesus in the boat whatever you have to do get Jesus in your boat today if you're not a Christian you can invite him in the boat and he'll join you today amen we can sign you up for that he didn't act and notice this Mark 4.38 says when the storm arose he was in the stern of the boat asleep on a pillow now what the pillow tells me is this he didn't fall asleep he went to sleep he didn't accidentally doze off he took a nap on purpose he didn't drift off. No, he got up in the stern, fluffed his pillow, laid his head down, and took a nap. This was planned. This was deliberate. He didn't just doze off. No, he went to sleep. That's amazing. Verse 23 and 24, when, they got, when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Say they followed him. And then there arose a great storm. Say a storm. So that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Say asleep. 
Here's what you get. You follow Jesus, you end up in a storm, and he's asleep. Isn't that good? Aren't you encouraged? (laughs) Anyone who's walked with the Lord very long has felt just like these guys felt in this moment. I'm here because I followed the Lord, right? Sometimes you get in trouble because you don't follow the Lord. Sometimes you get in trouble because you do. We're often not prepared for that, are we? They were obeying Jesus. They were following Jesus, and they ended up in a great storm. Sometimes because you're in a storm doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. You can be in a storm in the will of God. They were. They followed Jesus. They're in a storm, and now God's asleep, and we've all felt like that before. But even though he was asleep, he was still present. Even though he was not, you know, right there, panicking along with them in the situation, he was still in the boat, and they did well to remember that. Here we are. The boat's taking on water. God's asleep. But you know what? It's better to be in a wet storm with Jesus than on dry land without Jesus. Amen. They were close enough to Jesus they could get his attention. I want to always stay close enough to Jesus that I can get his attention. Amen. That I can wake him up in prayer. That I can call on him and he'll hear me. Some people today are living far from Jesus. I want to tell you when trouble comes, you want to be close to Jesus. Close enough that you can call him and he can hear you and he can answer you. Amen. The presence of Jesus. They were close enough to call on him. He's already in the boat, but if we call on him on prayer, if we'll stir him up with our praise, he will rise up and act on our behalf. That's why we pause this morning to pray. That's why we're meeting tonight at 6 o'clock to press in and pray and seek the face of God. What are we doing? We're calling on Jesus in the boat to, to come and speak peace to the storm. You know what? Waking Jesus up in panic got them rebuked though. Hear me, there was nothing wrong with asking him for help. That was the right thing to do. But all the miracles that they'd witnessed that day should have caused them not to pray out of panic, but to pray instead of panic. And that's what Jesus was looking for and sort of disappointed when he didn't get that out of them, when they didn't respond with more faith. But he was in the boat, and I'm thankful for that. Oh, what a comfort the presence of Jesus is. What a comfort the presence of Jesus is. To know that Jesus is in the boat with us is a great gift. Can I tell you today? Jesus is still with us. The Lord's not abandoned us. Amen? The word of the Lord gives us the promises. Isaiah 43, Fear not, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name, and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, where will he be? I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Neither will the flame kindle upon you. Why? Because because I'm the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I'm the Lord, your God. God is with us. That's the promise. Amen. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We read it a moment ago. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. God's not up there in heaven looking down from a safe distance. No, God is our present help. He's here. He's with us. His spirit is among us. He's with us in the storm. Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. He was then and he is now. Hebrews 13 and 5, the promise, as the Lord himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the promise of God. And so we have the presence of Jesus and we know the power of Jesus and we're in the purpose of Jesus today. We don't have to be afraid because we're in the purpose of God. 
God has this in his hand. We're in his plan. We're under his care. And God knows what he intends to do even now. He's not in a panic and we don't have to be either. God's not nervous. The Father, Son, and Holy Ghost did not have to call an emergency board meeting last night in the corridors of glory. God's not drinking Maalox, wringing his hands, wondering what he's going to do about COVID-19 or anything else on this planet. I can promise you. He's on the throne. He's in charge. He's not abandoned his post, and he still cares for his own. Amen? We are in the purpose of Jesus, and that's a good place to be. Jesus had already said, let us cross over to the other side, Mark 4 and 35. We're going to cross over, and we will get through this. Hear me today. The last 12 hours that they had spent with Jesus, every word out of his mouth had come to pass. They had no reason to believe this word would not also come to pass. He told demons to go and they went. He told sickness to heal and it vanished. He called the leper clean and his skin cleared up. So when Jesus said we're going to the other side, they were going and they were going to get there safely. I'm glad that Jesus is able to finish what he started in my life. I'm glad he's able to keep every promise that he makes to me. I'm glad he can be depended on and counted on in times like these. Jesus never looks at me and says, you know what, you're just too much work. I'm not going to be able to finish the project. No, Jesus is able to finish what he started in me and in his world. Amen? He's not afraid and we don't have to be. But being in the will of God does not exempt us from the storms. This passage is proof of that. But being in the will of God does guarantee we will make it through the storm. Amen? In Hebrews 11, there are two lists that the people of faith often find themselves on. There's a group of people that escaped by faith, and there's a group of people that endured by faith. God will either rescue you from it, or he will enable you to get through it. And the, the bad news is, you don't get to pick which list you're on. <laughs> some days you're on one list, and some days you're on the other. But the reality is if you are a person of faith and you'll stand in faith, he'll either rescue you from it or he will get you through it. That's the promise. I'm not promise of the outcome. I'm promise of the object of my faith. God is going to be faithful and he's going to get me through it one way or the other. Amen. There was never any doubt about whether Jesus and the disciples would make it across the Sea of Galilee. They might not make it there dry, but they were going to make it. Because Jesus was in the boat and he was all powerful and he had already said they were going across and his word can be trusted. The, uh, we know that Jesus was going to make it across because he had a mission to accomplish. He had two demon-possessed men waiting on him in the Gergesenes and Jesus wanted to go and set them free. Why? They were Gentiles. And some people believe that Jesus only had power in Israel. And so he left Israel and went over to the Gentile territory to prove to everybody that he was God in Israel and he was God in the Gergesenes. He was God in, uh, in Galilee and he was God in Gadara. It didn't matter if he was on Jewish soil or on Gentile soil. Jesus was still God. Amen? I'm thankful for that today. I grew up believing that. I grew up singing that. Amen? Some of y'all don't remember, but I remember. I bet Gloria remembers. He's God all over the platform, and he's God back at the door. He's God in the amen corner, and he's God all over the floor. He's God when the lightning flashes. He's God when the thunder rolls. He's God way up in glory, and he's God down in my soul, and I know that God is God, and God don't ever change, and I know that God is God, and he always will be God. Hallelujah. Amen. 
We need to get our song back today. There's good theology in our song. Come hell or high water, he's still on the throne. He's steadfast and faithful, and he's in control. We're going to make it through, amen? Why? Because we're in the purpose of God. God's not through with us yet. God's got more for us to do. We've got a work to do. We've got to be salt and light in our culture. We have a community to win for Jesus, and so we're going to make it. Jesus has a plan for us. The great awakening preacher George Whitfield said it like this, We are immortal until our work on earth is done. I like that. We are immortal until our work on earth is done. Until you accomplish what God has for you to accomplish, the devil can't take you out. Look at St. Paul. Oh, how the enemy tried. The enemy would love to have snuffed his life out prematurely. He tried multiple times to end him and destroy him and found himself unable to do so at every single turn. Amen? As my friend Brock Bruce says, we're part of a kingdom that cannot be sh- uh, we're part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. And we have a king who cannot be removed from his throne. Amen. That's a great that's a great reminder for us today. Being in the promises of God, it guarantees my survival and my arrival. You may get wet, but you will get there. Being in the purpose of God ensures a safe landing, not a dry voyage. <laughs> You may be wet, but you'll still get there. Amen. I don't know what all will happen in the next few weeks and days, and neither do you, but we can trust the Lord whatever comes. Amen. He will protect us from or he will carry us through whatever we encounter. We have the promise of God on that. Why? Because I know that in all things God works together for the good of them that love him and who are called according to his purpose. You have a purpose, amen? Well, pastor, how should we respond? Instead of, instead of fear and panic, we know now why we shouldn't fear and panic. We know the power of Jesus. We have the presence of Jesus. We're in the purpose of Jesus. Well, what do we do instead? Well, number one, walk in faith. Say that with me. Walk in faith. We're going to talk about how we walk. Number one, we walk in faith. The Bible says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. We believe God. We rest in his promises. I think that most of the time the word faith could be safely replaced with another word and not do harm to the text. And that word is courage. Take courage. Be of good cheer. Amen. Courage. Faith does not mean we live in denial of what's really going on. It means we choose to respond with courage and obey God's commands despite our fears. As Dr. Charles Stanley said, we obey God and we leave the consequences to Him. God has carried us through darker days than this. He has never failed us yet, and he's not going to start now. Just like the disciples in the boat, he will carry us through to the other side. Pastor, I'm so anxious, though. I'm so nervous and worried. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're watching by live stream, and you are immune compromised. Maybe you are older, and maybe you've already had some health struggles this year, and this has got you really concerned. Maybe you're here today, and it isn't physically. It's financially you're worried. You're saying, Pastor, if I can't work for the next few weeks, things are really going to get tight, and I'm worried about our financial condition with our family and our house. Well, What do we do in the face of that? How do we face the very real anxiety that we feel? Well, number one, we we walk in faith. A passage that has helped me greatly is this one. I want you to read it with me. You know it, but I want you to hear it again. Let's read it together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a difference between concern and worry. 
concern is wise. We ought to have legitimate concern. Amen. We, we, we don't just go through the world with a, our head in the sand pretending that everything is wonderful. No. We know better than that. If anything, God's Word is very honest about the reality that there are problems and pains and difficulties and trials in the world we face. We should not be caught off guard by those. The Scripture has warned us. Our own Savior said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world, He says, very quickly after that. What's the difference? Well, concern means that there are some things that I should probably do and take action on. Well, by all means, do those things. But worry is different. The word for worry is literally the idea of twisting. In the Bible, the Greek word means to twist. Have you ever just felt your insides nodding up and twisting because you're so anxious about something? That's the Greek word for worry, to be twisted out of shape, to be bent out of sorts, to be wrung out like a rag. It's this idea of being in tension, being under pressure, literally being twisted and wrapped around. And that is something that God does not desire for us. Listen, to allow the enemy to tie us in knots of anxiety and rob our peace and steal our joy is needless. Why? The passage here tells us what we should do. We replace worry with worship. Ruth Bell Graham said, Worry and worship cannot occupy the same heart. I want to tell you, it can't occupy the same heart at the same time, at least. What do you mean? The Bible says in the Psalms, The moment that I am afraid, I will trust in you. I love that. In the moment. Say in the moment. A lot of us think, well, I just trust God generically. The Bible says very specifically, in the moment when you are afraid, in that moment when anxiety rises, in the moment when the thoughts flood your mind, in the moment when your adrenaline kicks in, in the moment when you wake up out of a dead sleep and can't go back asleep again, in the moment that I am afraid, I will trust in Him. We trust God all the time, but there are moments when we most especially need to lean hard into God. And when you have a moment like that this week, I urge you, fly to Jesus. Run to the Lord in prayer. Lift up your heart. Speak the promises of God from your mouth. Focus in on Him. Don't be anxious. And the only way not to do that, the only way to be anxious for nothing is to pray about everything. Paul is saying if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. We often say, oh, that's not a big enough thing to pray about. Then why are you sitting up at night over it? If it's big enough to keep you awake, it's big enough to pray about. Oh, I'm not going to talk to God about that. It's a little thing. Let me tell you something. I'm a daddy, and so is God. And the thing my child is worried about may not be a big deal, but I tell you what is a big deal. My child is a big deal. And their peace and their comfort and their safety is a big deal to me. And so if the enemy is wearing you out with thoughts of anxiety and fear and nervousness, even if the issue is not a big deal, let me tell you something. You're a big deal. God cares about you. And God says, bring it to your daddy. You come run to me with those thoughts. You come run into my presence with those worries. You come running into prayer with those concerns. And he says, I'll meet you there. And what will he do? He says, I'll give you peace that passes understanding. And that peace will guard your heart and your mind in Christ. And not, not only will he work on the situation, he'll keep the situation from working on you. Isn't that great? Not only will God work on the problem, He'll keep the problem from working on me. That's what the peace of God does. This is a great promise. This verse will get us through the next few weeks. Lord, help us today. We walk in faith. Say faith. Number two, we walk in wisdom. Say wisdom. Just because we're people of faith doesn't mean we check our brains at the door. 
Sometimes obeying God will require you to cowboy up and bravely take a risk for the sake of the gospel or for the sake of others that you were called to serve. But my daddy always said there's a fine line between brave and stupid. Maybe your daddy said that too. God not only gave us faith, he also gave us wisdom. He didn't just give us a heart, he gave us a mind. God gave us the uncommon virtue that we for some reason call common sense. I'd say it's rather uncommon sense these days. When Satan tempted Jesus to recklessly hurl himself off the top of the temple, Jesus responded back to him and said, You will not put the Lord your God to the test. Do you hear that? Even Jesus knew that acting recklessly or rashly and just thinking God would take care of you despite your um, foolish decisions was not the way to go. To rashly cast off good judgment is not faith. It is presumption. It is testing the Lord. It is tempting God. And we are urged, we are commanded in the Bible not to do that. Do you hear me? Amen. So don't go licking any door railings today, kids. Okay? That's not faith, okay? That's something else, but it isn't faith. Amen. Well, Pastor, what does walking in wisdom look like? Well, I believe we should follow the common sense measures that are issued by the Centers for Disease Control. Pastor, are you washing your hands and using Germax? Yes. Listen, whenever I open God's Word and I preach God's Word, I have nurses and doctors that listen to me. So when there's a public health crisis and the doctors and nurses say something, guess what? I listen to them. Because I've got my area and they've got their area. So listen. Take the common sense measures that are being spelled out for us to take. Amen. Wash your hands. As if you weren't doing that before, right? <laughs> Use hand sanitizer. Self-quarantine if you run a fever or have cold-like symptoms. Use extra caution if you are immune compromised. Be smart. I dropped the video yesterday and said your pastor's not pressuring you to come if you feel like you're in danger by being in a, in a large gathering right now. I get that. There's no judgment about that. That's not fear. That's not lack of faith. That's wisdom. Amen. Let's give people the liberty to make decisions for themselves in a moment like this. And let's not judge each other whether we come or whether we stay home and watch. Amen. Can, can we agree to that? Amen. We're going to give one another liberty in this moment. We're not going to de-Christianize one another. Amen. It doesn't mean you're foolish if you come or you lack faith if you didn't. No. There's a balance and you and the Holy Spirit navigate that line. That's why God gave you His Spirit to help you make those decisions. We're seeking to ground our decisions about senior adult functions and growth groups and water baptisms and upcoming Easter events in wisdom. We should within reason seek to honor the recommendations of our government officials such as the Alabama Department of Health or our governor. Listen, they've requested we limit our gatherings to less than 500. We're going to do that. We're going to try our best to accommodate that. Um, we're prepared to offer multiple services or live stream only the service if we need to. These measures are not a lack of faith. They're honoring the God-given authority that He placed in our society to keep order and to protect the common good and the public interest. We're not being persecuted. The government is not singling out churches. They've asked all large gatherings to not meet together, okay? It would be different if they were letting everybody else meet and they said, no, we don't want the church to meet. Pastor, what would we do then? We would defy that order. We would, we would civilly disobey, not only because the Bible says so, but because the First Amendment says we may. And both as Americans and Christians, we will obey the Constitution second, the Bible first. But that's not where we are today. Listen to me. It, it's not time to 
thumb our nose at the government and pack out buildings because we're trying to prove we have religious liberty. They're not picking on us. They're not persecuting us. They haven't singled us out. Listen to me. I've seen people argue this this week. Well, they're just trying to pick on the church. I don't believe that. If they were picking on the church, they wouldn't have shut down the NCAA. Amen? Listen. They took March Madness too. It's okay. Calm down. They're not picking on us. All right? Uh, seriously. Relax. Relax. So what do we do? We walk in wisdom. We obey the governors and those that are in authority over us. We honor the king, as the Bible says we should, as much as is reasonable. That's what we do. We're, we're not being singled out. We're, but of all people, God's people ought to lead the way in obeying the law and being good citizens as long as it does not contradict our faith. And for right now, it does not. So, do what they're asking, okay? It's for the common good. And if anyone should believe in that, it should be us, the people of God. Finally, number three, walk in love. Say love. This is important, and I'll close with this. The highest standard for all our actions in every situation is love. The great command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the highest standard for anything that we do as the people of God. Chad, come help me. There is nothing wrong with planning ahead and making reasonable preparations but hoarding irrational amounts of supplies displays both a lack of faith in God and a lack of love for your neighbor. Because everyone that you put in your cart that you don't need is one that somebody who does need it can't get. Do you hear me? That's not only a lack of faith, it's a lack of love. So you're out on both counts. Quit hoarding the Charmin. Stop. Get a hold of yourself. Stop it. Walk in love. When you read about the first century church, listen, they didn't hoard toilet paper and stockpile hand sanitizer. We're Pentecostals. We believe we're like that first century church. Well, then let's be like them. Well, they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Let me tell you what else they did. The Bible says in Acts 2, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They didn't just shout and run the aisles, church. Pentecostal people took care of one another. You hear me? How should we respond in this way? Luke 3.11, John the Baptist, this was his sermon. Whoever has two coats, share with the one who has none. And whoever has food is to do the same. So if your neighbor needs a roll of your Charmin, John the Baptist says, give it to them. <laughs> Love your neighbor. You'd want them to share a roll if you needed a roll. Hear me. Walk in love. In all seriousness, some of us may be called upon in this season to watch out for someone else or even to put ourselves in harm's way by going and caring for someone else. Don't be afraid to do that. Don't let fear and self-preservation override your Christian impulse to love your neighbor. God will take care of us. And if we will take care of one another, God will be pleased with us. Amen. Stand with me all over the Lord's house. In a word, my sermon in one word is relax.
Our church and our community survived Frederick and Katrina, and they will get through Corona. Okay? <laughs> We've made it through far worse than this. We'll get through this together. Don't react in fear. Respond with faith. We know the power of God. We have the presence of God. We're walking in the purpose of God. Walk in faith, walk in wisdom, and walk in love. That's the command of God for us. Storms like this, though, reveal why you, why you need to be in the boat with Jesus and His disciples. If you're in a storm, you want to be in the boat with the Lord and with His people. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, now's a good time to become one. <laughs> if you're here today and you're not part of a local church, now would be a good time to get in one. You want to be in the boat with Jesus and you want to be in the boat with His disciples because that, that is the boat that's going to make it across. Amen. Let's be honest. For some people with health risk factors, now is a very scary time for them. They're very frightened. Can I tell you today, if you're afraid, there's only one person that I know who can give you faith and confidence in the face of death. And that is the Lord Jesus because He died and rose again. And because He lives, you will live also. And because He lives, you don't have to live in fear. Some of you today don't have good family support or a network of friends to watch out for you or catch you. That's why everybody needs a church and everybody needs a pastor. And everyone in the church needs to be part of a group, a life group, a growth group, a Bible study. You need to be on the radar screen of someone who is watching out for you. And that's how we watch out for one another. You're on a list if you're on a group. If you're in a group, we know to be checking on you. So get in. Get in. Are the waves of difficulty crashing over your boat today? Are you taking on water? Do you feel like you're just about to be overwhelmed by all of this? Does it seem like you're in a storm and God's asleep in the stern? It's okay. Remember God's power. You have survived 100% of your bad day so far, and you will make it through this one too. Amen. Number two, rest in His presence. Don't panic in fear. Pray in faith. But it's okay to wake up the Master. And if you are fearful today, run to Jesus in prayer. Take those anxieties and run to your Father. He will scoop you up in His lap and He will comfort your heart. Run to God in prayer today. Number three, remain in His purpose. Stay in the boat with Jesus. You may make it home wet, but you'll make it home if you'll stay with Jesus and stay with His people. If you're not a Christian, today's a good day to trust Christ for the first time. Because not only will He keep you for time, He'll keep you for eternity. He'll forgive your sins, restore your relationship with God, show you how to walk with Him. He'll give you peace along the way, and He'll make bring you safely home at the end of the day to His presence, to live with Him forever. You can trust Him today. Every head bowed this morning, we're going to pray. Ted's going to lead us in a closing song. We're going to go. But I urge you today, don't let fear overwhelm your heart. Let's pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray for our people today. And Lord, sometimes we laugh to keep from crying and sometimes we tell jokes about it just to break up the anxiety and tension over it. We're not making light of the situation. We're just trying to cope and feel our way through the best we can. Lord, I pray today that you would help us though because Lord, there are moments and there may be more moments in the days ahead Whatever the reality and the sting of this, whether it's physical or financial or emotional, just really gets a hold of us and we find ourselves struggling. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today. I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you. I pray that you would help us to set our hearts on you. I pray that you would help us today to anchor our faith in your word, to trust you deeply. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to 
in moments when we are afraid to come running to you. Lord, in, in, in seasons whenever uh, we find our, our faith shaking, that we would uphold it and sustain it with your word and with prayer. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace this next week to walk in faith, but also to walk in wisdom, to be smart and make good choices and wise decisions. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us most of all to walk in love, to watch out not only for ourselves and our family, but to take care of one another, to take care of our neighbors, to do good as much as we have opportunity to so that other people may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. May they see our kindness and our compassion and our willingness to roll up our sleeves and help in the days ahead. And may that be the light that shines the way for them to come to know Jesus for themselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Chad, lead us before we go. Let's sing.